Welcome to A Command of Your Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing the two-part pilot episode of Deep Space Nine, Emissary. This episode originally aired in 1993. We're actually a Star Trek podcast this week. I know. I'm excited about it. Yes. Uh, So we have a couple of announcements first, I think. Okay. Or just one announcement, I guess, really. I don't have any Star Trek Discovery news. I thought I saw some. And then I thought to myself, I should go back to that. <laughs> well done. Yep. Um, yeah, the only news I saw was uh, an article about, uh, was it Tig Notaro? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. wasn't about Star Trek. It was, I, I think, just about like another news article. And I happen to recognize the name because she's going to be on Star Trek. So. All right. Uh, You're the expert, so I will take your word for it. Yeah. Um, But we do have other news for the podcast because Kate, Mm -hmm. it was on as a guest on Pop Culturally Deprived. Yes, it was a lot of fun. And what movie were you discussing, Kate? We talked about Blazing Saddles. Okay. Which has nothing to do with either of my other podcasts. So that episode, if you want to hear Kate talk about Blazing Saddles with Matthew and Mandy, is out right now. And so you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We had a, we had a lot of fun discussing this movie, and I had a lot of fun watching it. I am looking forward to listening to your episode about it. I was just going to say, I had a lot of fun um, re-watching Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. Like, 10 years after the last time I watched it. Oh, wow. And it was a very different experience than watching it with, like, a group of 20-year-olds who are drinking cheap alcohol and eating chips than watching it by myself as a 32-year-old. Yeah, whatever. I'm being like, oh, okay. This is an interesting movie. (laughs) all right yeah i've i've never found myself enjoying a mel brooks film interesting Mm -hmm. i not even well i enjoy his other ones better like young frankenstein and space balls and men in tights Okay, I'll amend that. I may have enjoyed Young Frankenstein if it's the movie I'm thinking it was. With Gene Wilder? I have no idea. But it was the only thing that we could follow on TV in Germany. (laughs) So I don't... I was seven and in Germany (laughs) and bored out of my mind. And this strange, like, uh, Frankenstein show was movie was on and we could kind of follow what was happening even though it was in german Mm. so if that's the case then i did maybe enjoy that one a little interesting all right shall we just dive right into some deep space nine here yes let's do that we both tweeted about it a little bit which was funny yeah i did tweet about the whole thing i just got interrupted Oh, I didn't see your episode one tweets. I thought you just sort of picked up where I left off. No, no, I'd just done them earlier and then interrupted by family. And then I got to watch the rest of it after a little break. Gotcha. So let's dive in, Kate. What did you think of the pilot for Deep Space Nine? It wasn't terrible. (laughs) Well, I guess that's a step up. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah? There were parts that were enjoyable. Oh, good. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but from what the little that I know about Deep Space Nine Mm -hmm. is that these episodes are not a good reflection of how the rest of the series goes. Um, well... this felt more like an Enterprise episode. Or, sorry, a next-gen episode. The first few seasons of Deep Space Nine are quite episodic and Mm -hmm. they do deal with the recurring issues of 
Bajor just coming off of the occupation and the Bajoran religion and the tensions with the Cardassians. And they do deal with that a little bit through the first few seasons. Mm -hmm. But it isn't really until they get into the later half of their seven-year run when they start dealing with a larger war arc that you get some more arcing type of stories. And even then, there's some episodic things thrown in there. And that, I think, is partly just because they have to fill, like, 22 episodes each season. And um, it's hard to fill all of that time with this story arc, so they have to break it up a bit. Yeah, I guess... I guess I had just always been under the impression that this was more of a, you know, these people learning to live and work together on this space station type of story, mm -hmm. which this episode was more about solving this problem. Yeah, and they do still have a lot of solving this problem, but they also have a lot of characters learning to live together and exploring the different character dynamics. Uh, because of the way it's set up on the space station and you have the people who are aligned with the Federation and then you have Bajoran officers and then you have people who are there in like as civilians like Quark is. It sets up mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities for like interesting conflicts to explore. And um, like some of the characters just have a certain um, charisma off the bat like uh, Odo and Quark like, right away are, like, an instant pairing. Now, the actors had worked together before this, so they already knew each other. But you have Which this... Which one was Odo? He's the constable, the shapeshifter. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, like, you have a relationship there where, of course, they're going to come into conflict because Quark is the shady bartender trying to get away with whatever he can get away with. And Odo is the guy who's supposed to keep law and order on this promenade and they're going to be coming, you know, having conflicts and having to work mm -hmm. things out. And, and that's one of like, that relationship is one of the fan favorites going through the series. Believe it or not, Dr. Bashir and Miles O'Brien end up being an odd couple kind of pairing. Okay. Who's Miles O'Brien? He's the engineer from the Enterprise. As soon as I said the word <laughs> O'Brien, I got there. Okay. Yep. And wait, which doctor? The, the which doctor? The super naive doctor who's like, yes, I'm at the frontier. This is so exciting. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and, and his character arc over the entire series uh, is one of my favorites because he, he goes a long way in maturing... Um, both career-wise and in his personal life, and it's really interesting to explore. Okay. this whole So far, this episode sounds like you trying to sell me on watching more. <laughs> well, I love Deep Space Nine. It is my favorite. So, mm -hmm. yes, you should watch more. Right. So it wasn't quite what you were expecting. No, it was not quite what I was expecting. Um, the gentleman who plays Cisco was a little a little a little hot and cold with his acting let's say mhm mm you know when he was just being commander or captain or whatever the heck his rank is mhm mm he was he was good when he was being serious right um when he had emotions no he can't do that he does not have that range i'm sorry <laughs> or at least not yet See, I, I think his emotions may have been a little bit more close to his true personality. Then I don't think I could ever have a conversation with this man. I, I don't think I could either. From the little bits I've seen of him um, not acting, I'm always mm -hmm. like, whoa, oh, wait. Um, probably very lovely, but not my cup of tea. He was so, he was so Kirkish when he had emotions. Like that stereotypical <laughs> emphasis on every word and dramatic pauses. And every single person he talked with on that ship, he flirted with. Like every single person. 
And then we were supposed to also believe that he was still just trapped in this one moment with his wife. So I didn't really. I didn't mind that. Just because I know people who are very flirtatious in their personality. I guess. Uh, but they also are capable, like, they're not actually trying to, you know, initiate anything. They're committed, mm. but they just have that playfulness all the time. I suppose. I did appreciate that he had that that flirtatiousness with, with everybody. Human, not human, man, woman, he didn't care. Yeah. He's just, that's his charm. I guess it just felt like it was too much. Like, he was laying it on extra thick. Okay. He... It, I was going to say something, but... Mm. Well, I think he gets it from his dad, but... Oh. Well, that is not what we're discussing. We're discussing this episode. Yeah. There's two children in this episode, and presumably they just remain locked up for the entire thing. Which actually, I'm okay with. I mean, that's what I like to do with children. (laughs) But it does seem like a weird choice for Cisco, who is presumably a, a, a decent father, to make. That he keeps Jake in his quarters? He locks up his own kid in his own room, and then he leaves that other kid in the brig. They never really seemed to... There was nothing about that kid ever being released. Oh, I'm sure that he did get released. Because Quark kept his end of the bargain and stayed. So I think... Right. And, right. and we see that kid again in the future. Him and Him and Jake are another recurring pairing on the show. Yeah, I... I actually got that from them being the only two kids. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I, worry. I also liked the very obvious lie that Cisco told to his son when, when Jake was like, are there going to be other kids there, Dad? And he was like, oh, totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, the child acting is sometimes um, uh, a low light. Yeah. Although, I think only one of them is a child. Yeah. Let me just do some quick math here. Uh, yeah, so the the person playing the, the child Ferengi, mm-hmm. Aaron Eisenberg, was 24. Oh. When, in, in 1993. So he was, and, and Jake didn't know that. Okay, so this is a fun story that I've heard. I can't remember where I read it or heard it or whatever. But because Aaron Eisenberg has to get in the prosthetic makeup, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He would have to show up earlier than everybody else. So by the time um, Jake Sarek Lofton would arrive on set, he would already be like Ferengi person, right? right? So he never got like a really clear look at his face and so he always just assumed that he was way younger (laughs) like he was like the same age Uh and so it wasn't until later that he realized he was actually like an adult (laughs) that's hilarious but yeah but yeah Sirik Lofton some of his acting little shaky by the time season seven I think he's comes along he's on much stronger footing I didn't mind him in this episode he didn't do much Mm -hmm. um his outfit jesus those never get better it was like when they were in the you know the doohickey the holodeck fishing yeah yeah there we go um and he was wearing those overalls Mm -hmm. it was like some 90s version of huckleberry finn it was terrible Mm -hmm. yeah it was terrible the clothing in star trek like their casual clothing for the men especially it's always been kind of awful. I mean, it's I, I, it's hard to take a kid seriously in overalls with one strap off. <laughs> hard to take a person seriously. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. And here's something I was confused about. Okay. Now, this might just be the nature of how I watched it because I watched episode one yesterday and I watched episode two this morning. Mm-hmm. So maybe I just forgot stuff overnight. But I feel like when they were going after the orbs that were obviously hourglass-shaped and not fucking round, but whatever. (laughs) Um, when they were... (laughs) When they were going after those, and they talked to that dude, the bad dude, I don't remember words. (laughs) 
or like names of things. Do you, you mean, know? Okay, so the they're guy. they're going after the orbs, and they're talking to maybe Gull Ducat. Yes, yes, Ducat. Yes. Okay. Um, so they're talking to him, and I swear he implies that they have all the orbs. I thought that was the whole thing that the the bad dudes had all the orbs except for this one that the religious lady prophet lady had right why do you think they're going after the orbs didn't she say go and get the other ones um kai sends them in to because she thinks that they need to warn the prophets yeah which is their gods that the cardassians have most of the orbs I thought she was saying go and get the orbs. But again, this was... Yeah. I watched it sort of broken up, so maybe I just misunderstood. No, and they're not trying to... Well, I think they maybe think there may be more orbs. There could be more orbs. And since that's where they all came from, then Mm -hmm. that would be the logical place to go looking. I am confused about what their whole goal was. Well, Cisco has to bring stability to the region. If Bajor will, I mean, successfully because they're colonizing the this planet they just freed. Very American of them. Well, they're not colonizing it. They want to help. Oh, sorry. Uh, the word I was looking for was occupying. They're occupying it. The they're only on the space station. The Federation. That's it. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and they. The only reason that the Federation presence is there is because the Cardassians just spent, like, 60 years occupying it with their military, strip-mining the planet, and uh, enslaving the people. And so, with nobody else there, the Cardassians could just come back. So, but anyways, the Federation wants to help Bajor get to the point where it could join the Federation... So that's part of what Cisco's mandate is, is like they, he has to make the region stable. There's no stable government appearing on Bajor. Kira tells so him once, that. So just what I'm hearing is the Federation goes in, makes it stable. They join the Federation and then the Federation gets their resources. Like this all just sounds like bullshit. Well, but in the Federation, like they're a post money society. So ostensibly, resources would get sent where they're needed anywhere within the Federation-controlled space. So Bajor would also benefit from the resources of the Federation. I don't trust any fictional government. I mean, I don't trust many non-fictional governments. Right, right. But this just sounds shady. But anyways, so Cisco goes to talk to the spiritual leader because that's who Kira advises him would help bring stability to the government. Whoever she backs in the government would sort of uh, have the best shot. And then she tells Cisco, you have to go explore within and you have to go warn the prophets and figure out the mystery of the orb. And so that's why... They go off to explore the Denorius belt and discover the wormhole. I got I got that. I just I honestly thought she was saying you have to get the orbs, not explore them or whatever. Okay. I guess I just misunderstood about the orbs. I guess. Was Kira the major? Yes. Okay. She was the only character I liked. <laughs> I mean, I liked Cork, but he wasn't around very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I really liked Kira. Yeah, I... Oh, and Dex. I like Dex. But, again, she didn't get much. Yeah, she was actually the last person cast. Mm-hmm. And so she came in a couple of weeks after everybody else had started filming their scenes already. So she was very overwhelmed. And, yeah. And I think I that was... showed. And her character, her character shifts a little bit. Mm-hmm. As... I mean, this is a pilot, so it's an an early look. Yeah. And she does sort of shift in her personality later on in the the show. Okay. I was so sure that I'd seen that actress somewhere before, but no, I've never seen her in anything. 
Oh, really? But every every time I look at her and she talks, I'm like, I I I know you, but I don't. I looked it up. I I don't. She recently married Leonard Nimoy's son, Adam Nimoy. Yeah, that that's I wouldn't know that. Well, but we tweeted pictures from her account. So <laughs> if you were scrolling through Twitter. No, you- but it, it's not just the face. It's the voice and the face. It's everything, you know? Oh, it's okay. Not- and also, I have no memory of that, so. All right. Did I tweet them? It was you, right? No, it was me. <laughs> yes, okay. it was definitely me. <laughs> that sounds like something I might just hit retweet on and be like, oh, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jedzia Dax is one of my all-time favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And as is Major Kira. And yeah, she's yeah. good. I will say what I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into some of the sexism here. Oh, yeah. So when they introduced Major Kira, uh, O'Brien dude, he, I forget the exact line, but he definitely says something like, have you ever worked with a Bajorian woman? As if this is going to be the most painful thing <laughs> Cisco has ever done in his entire life. He definitely... Then, yeah, go on. Well, then, like, at the end of the episode... O'Brien obviously has some respect for her, or at the end of the two episodes. But literally, that was, like, she had to prove herself to this asshole. You know, that's what her arc was. And no, no, none of the men had to prove themselves, not even the naive doctor. Like... I think you might be misinterpreting. <sighs> because there is a Bajoran ge- woman guest star on uh, Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And... He worked with her, and she's another very strong Bajoran woman who says it like it is. And I think that what Miles is saying is like, you know, have you ever worked with a Bajoran woman? Like, to try and let him know that they can be quite, um, you know, assertive. Assertive is the word I'm looking for. Sure. But- so I don't think he, I don't think Miles is meaning to say like, you know. Like, she has to prove herself. Okay, no, no, no. Okay. Or do you mean prove from Kira has to prove herself to Cisco? I'm saying that that is the plot. Okay, sorry. Okay. I will go back. Okay. First of all, um, this is a pilot. Other series don't count. They Like, whatever their background is, that doesn't matter. Because this is a pilot. It's a brand new show. So I would argue a lot of people, maybe giving this a try, don't have that history. Okay. So So it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Okay. But he, the way that it's set up with his introduction of her, of he, he literally says whatever I just said and rolls his eyes and then Cisco walks in there and she's yelling on screen and you're supposed to think, oh, an annoying woman. And then by the end of the two episodes, O'Brien and her sort of seem to have some sort of, you know, understanding of each other. But it wasn't that he had to prove himself willing to work with her. It was that she had to prove to him that she knew what she was doing and that her assertiveness was for a reason. And I'm just saying, if there was an assertive man in that character, they would not have written that plot line. That's really interesting because I didn't read that at all. But I'm I'm looking back at it from a very nostalgic viewpoint. And of course, knowing the, the history of the other Bajoran character that Miles has worked with, because he's always... I've always read his relationship with, like, Major Kira and Ro Laren, who was the Bajoran officer he worked with, or the Starfleet officer who was Bajoran, that he worked with on the Enterprise, as very respectful. I mean, he finds them a handful because they are so assertive, but I've never sort of felt that he is... He thinks that they have to, like, earn... Or prove their capacity or anything like that. I am not necessarily saying that he thinks that. I'm saying that that was sort of the plot that they wrote for those two characters. Hmm, okay. That them... I mean... she proves herself to the audience to be more than just a loud, annoying female. I feel like Kira's character definitely starts off as feeling as though she has to prove herself. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily to Miles specifically... I think that's partly how she is feeling about the Federation coming in. 
because she is always very much about Bajoran rule for Bajor. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I agree with her. To have to Fuck have the, the Federation. Federation come in, there's always some tension there. And I will say, like, I think that she proved her leadership capacity brilliantly in this episode. Like, when she is like, she realizes the importance of the wormhole immediately. She doesn't waffle at all. She's like, we have to move this over mm-hmm. there. This has to be Bajor's. We have to claim it before anyone else can, because otherwise it's just going to invite some other mega power into the sector to run over us again. Yeah. This is what I don't think she ever felt she needed to prove herself. I think she was always just like, I know I can do this. I'm really good at this. But it lended itself to this weird introduction. Like, if they had just left that introduction out, like, it wasn't needed at all. And I wouldn't have had these weird thoughts. But Kira always has a temper. She, She yells at people a lot and it gets her into some trouble. So... Like, I see it as part of her not, character. Eh, that's not how I read that. It felt it felt stupid to me. Okay. That's fair. Um, it definitely does fall under that trope of, like, assertive bitchy women. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, like, you know, bitchy women get stuff done. Yeah. And Miles rolled his eyes at her. Um, so just one thing to clarify. Mm-hmm. One thing to clarify as well, Miles isn't an officer. Okay. So, like, he is... I, I'm not quite sure how it all works with the military rank and etc. But he rolls his eyes at a lot of, like, officer... Okay, like You're giving me all this information from I know, other I know, stuff. I know, I know. So but just in this no, episode, it doesn't count. Okay. When I make you watch more, you will get to see Miles roll his eyes at a lot more. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, you're correct as well that a lot of the women's introductions are steeped with sexism. And even the sign-off at the end, uh, they have an incredibly sexist moment with Quark copping a feel on Kira. Yeah. And with Quark there, they get to sneak in a lot of uh, male gaze sort of shots and represent a lot of really non-progressive viewpoints. So that is one area in which they've always struggled. I realize that this is probably very contradictive to what I just said, but that scene didn't bother me. I thought it was funny. (laughs) The one where Quark puts his hand on her and is like, totally, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I do acknowledge that it's it's garbage, but I still enjoyed it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I just, I like Armin Shimmerman. So. Yeah. So that, I think, is me more giving the actor a bit of a pass, because I know he would never do anything like that. And it just comes across as a joke. Even though, even as a joke, it's terrible. I don't know. It's difficult because the interplay, but like, Quark is so, such a force on the show like he just sells it and they write the Ferengi culture to be very much sexist Mm -hmm. so it's really challenging too because it's it is enjoyable to watch all these different things they set up like he of course has women in scanty outfits in his bar and this is part of what he sells is what people want you know like Come mm-hmm. see the sexy women and all that kind of stuff and do your gambling. But then it's also very much like objectifying women and it's problematic. And at least on the show, like they do set up a, a counter point to it um, because a lot of the Starfleet officers, you know, look down on how it's run and how he treats people and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's good. Were there any other character introductions that you wanted to talk about? Well, Jennifer's introduced in a bikini and pretty much stays that way. Yep. Yep. An undone bikini. <laughs> yep. Very male gazy. Uh, I mean, technically, I guess she's introduced as a dead body. She was fridged. 
<laughs> and then she was in a bikini. I don't know that she necessarily, like, her death necessarily qualifies as fridging. Jen, well, because you are defending your favorite show, and I respect <laughs> that. My, I do. My question, I, I and would I, do I will, the same thing. I will. Cisco's entire personal character arc in this episode is about him getting over his dead wife. So she died for his storyline. Carry on with your defense. But her death doesn't spurn him on to any action. Like, this is part of his character. This is a painful memory in his past. It doesn't take place within the timeline of this show. Uh, like I would argue it, that we see it happen, so... Right, but we see it happen, and then this show starts three years after that. And yes, he's still living in the painful memory. And in fact, it's spurning him on to inaction to step away from what he has to do. Um, but like, and and like, we don't see her like gratuitously killed. Um, like, I I just don't see it as having some of the same narrative, uh, like treated as carelessly as some of the other fridging deaths have been. Like, it's not, you know, I'm trying to think of another Star Trek example. Like, Spock's mom is killed, and then he is, like, spurned on to protect the planet. Like, you know, like, it's not a straight sequence of events where, like, this death causes character resolve to take this action. And that's the only reason the death is there. I would argue that that death... Okay, we're gonna back it up a little bit. A, um, I do think originally you were right. The fridging trope or whatever did refer to a very specific way of killing somebody off. That mm -hmm. gruesome, terrible, stuffed into a refrigerator way. Mm -hmm. um, but it has since become something that people use just to point out how often women and love interests are killed off to spur on the male hero. So I don't think the nature of the death uh, really, really affects matter. whether or not she was fridged. Yeah. Um, and then also, I would say that it actually kind of spurred him into inaction. Yeah, that's that's what I meant. Like, her death spurred him into um like an ennui and a uh withdrawing yeah. and then it was his interaction with bajor and the prophets that's helping him yeah but that that's still like that's still a character direction that they wanted him to be in for this story that wouldn't have happened had they not killed her off at the beginning they still killed her off for his story but she wasn't even in the story. Like, she was not a, a character in the story that got killed off for him. This is, like, his background. Alright. Like. I I mean, it's not the worst case of fridging I've ever seen. <laughs> so. It's just, like, if, if you... Because I don't want to make it so that shows can never have somebody die. Like, a big part of what Cisco is, is he's a single father. He's blending family and career. Um, yeah. And I think it's a very refreshing example of a, a, man, a male character in Starfleet who's not entirely about his job. I mean, you see how important his wife and his son are. And mm -hmm. that very much informs his character. And seeing a man be affectionate with his son on television... Mm-hmm. So, like, if he didn't have his wife die, would we have his wife there? Would we have him not have a wife and kid? Like, would we have to then sacrifice other important facets of his character because we don't want to have this one woman die? I don't necessarily disagree with you. Okay. I'm just saying it It felt a little the same, you know, that, and I'm not, I don't want everybody to live ever. I love good death drama right um i don't know okay i don't think that there is one good answer I, here i don't think so either um so if any of our listeners want to chime in on their take on it mm -hmm. and join in the discussion you can uh do so on our twitter 
or email us and we would be happy to continue the discussion there. I was just going to say, I really noticed this time how um, like Jadzia Dax's entrance as well was Mm -hmm. like, because I think at one point Cisco like even gives that very like male glance at her body. Well, okay. So you're told right away. If I'm wrong, she was in a previous body the last time he saw her. Well, yes. An old man's body. Yeah. Or saw it, them. I don't know. Um, So in that case, I can almost forgive it just because he's like, oh, look, Dex is an attractive woman now. That's different. (laughs) Yep. You know, because and then and then he flirts with her down the hallway. But so like I'm it didn't feel like, oh, I want to have sex with that. It felt more like this is different. True. Or at least it but felt I also like that's felt what they like, were going for. But her entire introduction mm-hmm. seemed to be pointing out that she is an attractive young woman. Because it's also like the flirtation with the doctor and like setting oh, yeah, up the potential. thing with the doctor was so stupid. Who would, <gasps> like your commanding officers beside you. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, he's being young, stupid Bashir. Oh, I wanted to slap. I don't, I think I, I like, I was watching it on my computer and I changed tabs during that conversation because I just couldn't look at him. I was so embarrassed for him. There are a few moments like that in the early seasons with Bashir. Oh, he's bad. He's, yeah. So I did notice that humanity had to prove itself again. Yes, yes. Even though a lot of the shit in this episode had absolutely nothing to do with humans, once again. Well, humans sort of as a uh, a stand-in for every, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. linear species. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. Godlike race testing humanity. At least this time, we kind of came to them instead of them coming to us. Did that make it easier to handle? It wasn't nearly as terrible. Yeah, okay. I still thought it was bullshit. Well, I mean, Whatever. all they were going to do was, like like seal the wormhole kind of idea oh yeah that yeah that whole thing was fine but okay i just meant it it just feels like the majority of the cat well maybe not the majority of the cast but ostensibly i feel like we're supposed to think the majority of the cast isn't human but it's still humanity at the forefront of all this stuff oh yeah and humanity is kind of like the the pinnacle the best example yeah so that bothers me a lot. And that continues to be how Star Trek is done. But uh, this episode is why I am able to explain how baseball works. <laughs> Did and you never play it as a kid? I played it a bit as a kid, but when you have to think off the cuff of, like, you know, how does baseball work? And we had to do this recently with my kids. Um, because we've got a little, like, t-ball set up to take to the parks and whatnot, and they kept thinking that, like, they're on the same team as the pitcher, and they were trying to, like, hit the ball to the pitcher, and we had to be like, no, 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 and then I was like, oh, this is where Deep Space Nine comes in. It's like, these two people are on a team, and they're trying to throw the ball to each other, and you as the batter are on the other team, and you're trying to hit the ball away from them, like, over in this direction. <laughs> And I was like, yes, thank you, Deep Space Nine. Interesting. I guess yeah. I, grew, I grew up in a city that has a team in the yeah. in Major League Baseball, so it was more a part of my life, mm-hmm. probably, than it was yours. Not that I like baseball. It's awful. <laughs> yep. Yep. I like um, watching the baseball on Deep Space Nine because it comes out. Oh, there's more. Cisco's a baseball um, fan. Right. There's a whole episode where all of the crew and everybody forms a baseball team and they play against a Vulcan baseball team. And of course, the air quote human baseball team uh, sort of triumphs in the end. Right. <sighs> More human centric, sort of. Yeah. Sometimes I wish, like, I know Star Trek was trying. 
but man, does it wear its Americanness on its sleeve. <laughs> yes. This is probably why, or, you know, like that is probably why I feel like the Federation is just America finally took over everything and why I don't trust the government and <laughs> all that. Did you ever watch Babylon 5? No. Okay. I know it, but I, I never watched it. Yeah, I only watched an episode here or there, and I would wonder, like, how it would compare, if it would fall into the same sort of uh, problem. Hmm. I will say, no. I am I started that sentence like I was going to say something good. This is another <laughs> criticism. Okay. <laughs> At the end of the episode, when he, like, reunites with Jake, mm-hmm. that had no emotional, like stakes for me because he wasn't worried about jake at all and we never saw jake worried about his dad he locked him in his room and then we didn't see him until that moment where suddenly they were both relieved to be back together except we never saw either of them worried that they weren't going to get back to each other in fact what we did learn was that cisco would rather be dead would rather have abandoned his son and die with his wife and sure, he changes his mind about that at the end there, but, like, that was, that was not great. That comes up a lot in any of the, like, crisis episodes, because Miles has a wife and children, he has a kid, so they that problem does happen. Sometimes, during the episode, they'll mention if, if there's imminent danger threatening their family, They'll bring up, you know, well, I have a so-and-so there, too. Like, um, Right, because having but, family makes you more of a human being. Well, sometimes it's an effort to, like, reach out to somebody else across the table kind of thing. Um, but anyways. As, okay. Just as somebody who doesn't ever want kids, I kind of have a problem with that sort of thing. But it's fine. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, yeah. But I'm thinking of specific episodes where it's, like, context-specific. Like, you're trying to build a... a relationship with someone literally across the table from you and they have family and anyway but um so like in case specific situations so yeah they they do that quite a bit where there's like a crisis in the episode and then they have like a reunite scene afterwards but did they ever show them being worried about each other being worried about not being able to see each other again because we didn't see any of this episode any of that this episodes when they did reunite i was like this could have had a lot more to it if we'd felt their separation at all sometimes they do it just depends i think on how much they have in the episode Hmm. i feel like this episode had plenty of time for him to go and tell jake that he was leaving for a bit you know and to make it give it some tenseness right so, uh, well, anyway, I don't know if he would have necessarily had time, but. Which means he did just leave Jake locked in his room. Again, I am just, I am also partly looking back on this from a nostalgic perspective, mm-hmm. having seen a lot more father-son moments. It's, I see their relationship as like the whole seven-year relationship that I've seen. Right. So it's easier for me to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, and and feel the the happiness of them reuniting because I've... Anyway, but that's because I've I've seen it and you you haven't, so... Yeah. I was going to say, this isn't, like, a criticism of their relationship. It's a criticism of the writing. Of the writing, yes. True. They could definitely make different choices to show different things. I think it also is constrained somewhat because... uh, Sir Lofton as a child actor, there's more limits on, like, length of time on set and things like that. Yeah. So they have to pick and choose how much shooting time they're going to use with him. But they could have at least given Cisco a couple lines about telling him, right? Yeah. Or leaving someone in charge of him or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a little weird that, like, there's never any idea of there being, like, another hired caregiver. Mm-hmm. For for Jake, like it, that never comes up. I mean, he's eleven, so he's kind of at that point where he could be on his own. But as the commander of a space station, there's definitely points in time where, like, he could very conceivably be called away on duty for like more than a day. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't you think that they'd have some sort of thing set up for him to be checked on by somebody? Like, whose job it is to do that kind of thing? Yeah. But maybe the computer is programmed to, like, monitor him and talk to him. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> it's the future, Kate. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the depiction of religion in the episode. Uh... Did you have any particular thoughts on it? Because religion is very important in the Deep Space Nine series. I did not have any particular thoughts on it. Okay. It was there. It was there. All right. What way? What are your thoughts? Oh, I just wanted to see if anything had jumped out at you as to like how the Bajoran religion was portrayed. or um, We didn't see too if- much of it. Like, I don't, like, there's that whole go see the prophets thing. Mm-hmm. And then he talks to that lady and then they're after the orbs. Like, it felt like a plot device. Okay. You know, just to get the plot going with the orbs and stuff. Which, again, looks hourglass shaped and that bothered me a lot. That bothered me a lot, Jen. Did it really? <laughs> I, they're just, they're not orbs. I, I, I did don't... realize that at some point. But it was kind of like, as a, like, huh afterthought hey the orbs aren't shaped as orbs i don't think it would have been difficult to make them round like why why call them why (laughs) i can't why (laughs) is some some artistic designer dude just chuckling to himself yeah maybe yeah (laughs) asshole like they're not round no they're not (laughs) But maybe Even if this episode had been perfect, I would hate it just because of that. <laughs> now I want to see like a Bajoran geometry textbook to see if they just have, <laughs> if it's have just a di- mistranslation or something, <laughs> or if they just have different see, names for everything. They're squares or triangles. If, yeah, if they had done that and made it like a, a like a miscommunication thing, I'd have been one hundred percent okay. That would be good world building and hilarious. But this was just. Here is an hourglass. We call it an orb. Fuck you. <laughs> so. Well, they call them also the Tears of the Prophets. Oh, I like and that. They're... That's so much better. <laughs> yeah. Let's go after a tear. Done. Take away that terrible word. Well, that incorrect <laughs> word. Well, they don't use it because that's the like the religious term for it. And so the Federation calls it orbs. So maybe it is just a hilarious mistranslation. I've got two books about the making of Deep Space Nine, and I wonder if it addresses that anywhere in them. Okay. I'm going to Google this because this bothers me. Tears (laughs) of the prophets are not orbs. Google. (laughs) I don't know where the fuck this has gotten me. Explaining errors in Star Trek. Here we go. <laughs> Starts promising. Okay, I'm, I'm flipping through my index, too. No, there must be an episode called Tears of the Prophets. Dang oh, it. yes. Yes, there is. Everybody's just calling them orbs. Oh, wait. Why aren't the Bajoran orbs too. actual orbs? Here we are. Thank you, Reddit. Oh. Mm-hmm. Reddit user... Oh. Doesn't have an account anymore. Deleted. You are the best. He asks... <laughs> Why aren't the Bajoran orbs actual orbs? Unless there's something wrong with me, they're shaped like hourglasses, not orbs. Why call them orbs? It confuses my simple mind. (sighs) Yeah, no, everybody's just coming up with the shit that we said. There's no, like... And I've just worked through the first entry for orb in my book, which does not explain it. But if we wait for me to go through them all, it's going to be a very long podcast. Literally, (laughs) this entire subreddit is just exactly what we just went over. Is people just complaining they're not orbs? They're And just coming up with, like, the same explanations. Headcanon. Explanations, like, um, you know, bad translations. The writers said orb, but the VFX guys had other ideas. Gotcha. 
somebody is like, I always just assumed the orb was within the hourglass. Oh, and it's just like the shiny light emanating from it. Or like a case or something. Yeah, yeah. I, my favorite headcan so far, personally, is just that Bajoran geometry is just horribly fucked up. And so (laughs) all the things that we call this shape are just called a different shape in Bajoran geometry. And given the number of people I personally know who have always hated geometry, mm-hmm. I I think that would give them some pleasure. So there's my personal headcanon accepted. I don't want a headcanon. I want a Star Trek Deep Space Nine creator person to solve this problem for me or to say, yeah, we're dumb. That's what I okay. want. One of the okay. other. I just hit my desk, but it didn't make much noise. <laughs> I heard it. There was a clunk. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so glad I brought up the religion so that you could rant about the orbs. Get angry. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Jen's favorite TV show. It is. Going back just very briefly to the religious thing. Do you think the creatures that they encountered in the wormhole, are you thinking of them as aliens or gods? Aliens. Okay. It, that might be like colored by my own personal philosophy in life and that I don't believe in God. Okay. So Um, maybe if like I was coming from a different point of view, I'd have a different point of view, but I don't have this point of view. Okay. I, Good. I was just curious. That being said, I do always enjoy gods and fiction. But it just, it felt very similar to the whole Q thing, so that's sort of how I thought of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's another conflict that's going to come up. Uh, because the Bajorans are going to view them as their gods. Right. And then Starfleet's going to view them as aliens. Right. Well, that being said, were I in Bajoran space and they said, no, they're gods, I'd be like, absolutely, because that's where I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to convince them otherwise, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't mm-hmm. try to act otherwise when I'm in their culture and their space. Right. Okay. That's fair. What, what do you think of the mess? Or do we get, like, an answer? Oh, God, I hope not. That would be terrible. Um... <laughs> I think of them as aliens, but as aliens who exist so far removed from our understanding and experience of the universe Mm -hmm. that they don't really understand the impact that they've had on the Bajoran people. Okay. Because, I mean, they're definitely not like... They're similarities to Q, like you said, but Q goes out and plays God to planets. Yeah, like to just to mess with them, as a, as like a specific choice of his. Whereas like these alien prophets, that's not their intention in what they're doing to Bajor. It's sort of like an uh, a byproduct of how they've existed and how they view themselves and different things like that. The okay. the show explores this um, issue quite a bit. That's one of the reasons that I enjoy it. That sounds enjoyable, like something I would enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I just... That was a bad sentence. (laughs) Carry on. And Kira also has, like, uh, you know, she gets caught between Mm -hmm. both sides because she is very spiritual. She has a lot of faith. She's a a devout um, worshiper. But then she is also, like, within this command structure on the space station, working with Federation people, and understands the science aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that she has to kind of, like, work both sides of herself with, and yeah. This, uh, maybe this is because I'm not religious, mm-hmm. but I've always found that interesting in stories when they... I like the idea of using science to explain religion and not mm-hmm. disprove religion. Or I should say faith, not religion. Mm-hmm. Or, or like, God. You know what I mean? I 
I like whenever that happens in fiction and in life, because you could argue that a lot of right uh, physics or quantum physics can, you could use it to explain uh, some, can uh, I don't like religion, but some aspects of faith and not mm -hmm. disprove it, which, because I think a lot of scientists are anti-religion and a lot of religious people are anti-science. They never really work together in this way. I'm like, why don't you? Right. I feel like you guys could get a lot out of each other, actually. I think there are some groups working together. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think that's absolutely always the case. But a lot of the times they are sort of pitted more as adversaries than uh, working together. Yeah. So I like whenever that sort of those two things come up against each other in fiction or learn to sort of work with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Any other highlights of the episode or lowlights? Um, did you yeah. have a favorite character off the bat? I, I said Kira. Kira. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah, she's my favorite. Mm -hmm. I hope she tells everybody else to fuck off. <laughs> she is good at that. Um... Oh, and okay. I liked, I think I mentioned that I liked Dax also, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting character. One of the things I like about Dax is she's a science officer, so she's kind of, uh, like, Spock character, so she's incredibly smart. Um, but she also, you can see when she is making connections and figuring things out and presenting her findings, it brings her joy. Yes, okay. And I, I really enjoy that part of her character. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay, well, if we don't have anything else we want to say or questions we want to ask, then shall we move on to our recommendations? I think we should. All right. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. So this week, I'm recommending something that is very niche. Niche? I have no idea how mm -hmm. to say that word. Um very small point of interest i suppose mm -hmm. but um in i guess the latter half of june i'm going to be taking over dming for my dungeons and dragons group Ooh, exciting so, well sure um so i've been watching a lot of uh youtube videos on how to because i am a little nervous about that and mm -hmm. i just wanted to recommend matthew colville because he does great videos on Dungeons and Dragons and he comes at them from a point of view of um, like anybody can play, which a lot of videos are like that out there, but also he's he's very much from the point of view that DMing is easy and anybody can do it and learn to do it. And he wants more people to DM so that he can play more, you know, cause he ends up mm -hmm. DMing a lot. But he's like, yeah. everybody can DM, everybody can play. And he, he goes through everything and he's also very much like just steal everything here this is this is a campaign i wrote use it do it like don't don't waste your time writing your own stuff steal everything and i really i just really like his videos he's very entertaining and very mm -hmm. knowledgeable and educational and they are a lot of fun to watch now is he one of like is he through a network nope. or like a he's just a guy out there being like yeah, he yeah, doesn't even, okay. uh, as far as I know, he hasn't even turned on, like, the ads or anything on his videos, and he has tens of thousands of subscribers, so he could be making quite a bit of money off his videos, but he doesn't. He's just like, nope, I'm just making these for fun. Cool. I might check that out. Yeah, he's really good. Because um, that is the common plight of DMs, is that, like, once people are like, you can DM, they're always like, yeah, uh, yeah let's game and you DM. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to step out of their role. Um, his playlist, Running the Game, that's, mm -hmm. that's the one about DM. But he has a, a lot of his other videos are good too, but that's the okay. one there. How long are his videos? Uh, completely different. Some are, okay. you know, 10, 15 minutes, some are 40 minutes. Okay. Gotcha. But he, he talks really fast, so it never feels that long because he's just going the entire video. Okay. <laughs> His goal is always to keep them under 20 minutes. He's just not very good at it. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, so this week, I am recommending crossword puzzles. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in particular, the New York Times crossword puzzle app. Um, I read about it online. So I checked it out and I downloaded the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I'm on the free trial, I don't know if I will pay for access to it, but you get the full... You've got options. You can get the full New York Times daily crossword uh, every day of the week, uh, which does cost money. But then they also have like a mini puzzle every day that I am pretty sure is free. And so right now I'm just trying to do as many of the full New York Times crossword puzzles as I can before my free trial runs out. It's a really good stretch for my brain. So, and the app is really well done for doing crossword puzzles. I actually want like just a crossword puzzle app with, you know, different downloadable crossword puzzles mm-hmm. done in this style. I'll have to look and see if they have something available. And it has a whole bunch of packs available for like mini and what they call midi, which I assume is their medium size ones. Not quite as big as their full one. Uh, so you can download individual content on this as well. And yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's like a, a puzzle I can do uh, on my phone. Interesting. So yeah. And so far I have not overly used Google to solve anything. <laughs> I Googled one thing mm-hmm. and I looked at a map for another one. Do you think getting help from other people, not Google, is for lack of a better term, cheating? Um, no. I don't think that's cheating. But myself personally, I wouldn't ask other people until I was fairly, like, I had had time to sit and think about it for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just asking because I'm no good at crossword puzzles, but if I get help from anyone, then I feel like I haven't done the puzzle. And ah, I get, okay. And I get frustrated at that. Um, but And that's not just crosswords. Sometimes I do, you know, actual physical puzzles and... Sometimes somebody who lives in the same house as me will sit down and start working on them, and I will get unreasonably angry. Like, just horrendously unreasonably angry. I can understand that, because there's totally a difference in, like, setting out to do a puzzle together Mm -hmm. versus I really am enjoying this challenge of working this out, and then somebody goes and does it for you. Yep. Very different yep. experiences. It's not happy that particular day. <laughs> no, I, I imagine not. And yeah, I've asked uh, my husband a couple of things for the clues, um, but they're always like non-direct sort of clues. Like, you know, what's a, you know, I can't remember how many letters it was, but... You know, a so many letters way of saying run fast. Mm. And it ended up being like a three word phrase, right? Like, so it's not like he was going to be like, oh, that's blah, 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 and have the exact right answer on that. Right. Um, on the flip side, one time years ago, like over a decade ago, I just remembered this. Uh, we went over to my grandparents' house, and my grandpa was immediately like, Caitlin, we need you. <laughs> Okay, Okay. and he pulled out the New York Times crossword puzzle, and there was a a Tolkien clue. Oh, nice! (laughs) And I thought that hilarious that my grandparents knew that I was the person to ask for the word "ent." Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, so far there's nothing been there hasn't been anything too nerdy, and I want to get back to posting the Star Trek crossword puzzle that I had been. It's Mm -hmm. just not like. There isn't as easy a way to do it. Like, that's one of the things I like about the New York Times app mm-hmm. is that you just, like, can click through the clues and type through them. Although, word to the wise, depending on your settings, uh, it'll skip any blocks that are filled in. So sometimes as I've been filling in a word, I've, like, forgotten that I had a letter there. And then it, like, shifts all your letters, like, into the next clue. <laughs> oh, so I've like typed it in, like three letters were filled it in that, but I didn't pay attention. I just typed those three letters. So now three letters are in the wrong spot and I filled in three more onto clue number seven instead of clue number six. <laughs> so it's happened, happened a few times. I don't think I'd like to do 
crosswords on my phone. I mean, I'm not a big crossword person, but I like doing the easy crosswords. I find it's a good mental challenge. And unlike a Scrabble type game, Mm -hmm. there is like one right thing for this. Whereas my challenge with Scrabble is like, I'm always looking at my letters and looking at the board and thinking like, what is the absolute optimal thing I could do? And sometimes there isn't one optimal thing. It's like a choice between two different things. And, or like you're missing one letter for like the perfect word that's going to line you up with the triple score. And, and I find that very frustrating. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't play any of the Scrabble games on my phone. I do not enjoy Scrabble at all. I'm one of two people in my family who doesn't That's annoying. play the games on my phone. <laughs> At least it's all on their phones. So it's not, not like they're monopolizing every family get-together pulling out Scrabble. Yes, that would be terrible. But yeah, my, my husband, his sister, his mother-in-law, his brother, and uh, his brother's wife all play Scrabble on their phones. All right, shall we wrap her up? I guess we should. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share. Okay, I'm going to start this again because we should say what we're doing next week. And next week, I think, is your pick. Yes, it is. I'm making you watch Star Wars next week. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, you're watching The Last Jedi. It's out now. That's what you're doing. Okay, so let's try this again. So next week, we're watching The Last Jedi. Um, Jen hasn't seen The Force Awakens, so I'm going to quickly sum up the important parts for her. Okay. uh, Off off air. And I, I encourage you to please go into this movie with an open mind. Okay. I mean, if you hate it, you hate it. That's fine. I just tore apart your favorite TV series, so I 100% understand. But All right. I am requesting that you not hate it before you see it. Okay. And I don't hate Star Wars. Mm. All right. You believe that. <laughs> All right. Okay. I think uh, I think this one has the highest chance of you genuinely liking it. But I don't know if you actually will. Okay. Okay. Outro time. Yes, outro time. So thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com or on Twitter at command of her own. And we also have an Instagram account instagram.com slash a command of her own and i did actually post a few recent pictures there so yeah go check it out and i've been jen and i've been caitlin and we'll see you next week for the torture of jen yeah yes (laughs) yes bye bye Did you hear that big notification? I was yawning at the time, so no, I didn't. Okay.